<clears throat> Dealing with other people's stuff. Last week we began with um, an important understanding or a reminder of how other people affect us. And, and it, it can't not happen. We are relational creatures. And to realize in good ways and bad ways, other people uh, impact our lives. And more specifically now, these next three weeks, is family, then friends and neighbors, and then strangers and enemies. And how each of them, how we can deal in the best possible way, in a godly way, with people that we interact with, intersect with in our lives. And today, dealing with family. What do you think of, maybe there's even a who involved, when you hear terms like broken family, troubled family, dysfunctional family? We don't have to look very far, unfortunately. My wife deals with children in, in the high school that she works at that have very difficult homes. And I shared a couple of weeks ago what, what helps her somewhat to get through the uncalled for behaviors that she has to deal with is when she hears their story and realizes how hard it is for them at home. It doesn't make their, their actions and their words right, but at least it helps to say, okay, there's a lot of pain in this young man, this young woman's life. And can we find examples in Scripture of good, positive families that we can look at and, and hold them up as examples? I mean, how about Jacob's family? I mean, after all, the sons of Jacob, it says here in Revelation chapter 12, excuse me, chapter 21, verse 12, the sons of Jacob who became the the names of the tribes of Israel. Listen to the honor they had. Describing the, 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 the great city, the heaven, okay? In John's vision here in Revelation 21. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the tribes of Israel. Wow, so, so if these guys had the honor of having their names on the, the very gates of heaven, they must be people we can look to and pattern our lives after, right? Hold on. <laughs> the reading today is the climatic moment of... Um, my favorite Old Testament story, maybe it's yours too, of uh, the story of Joseph. When he reveals his identity to his brothers, after he had tested them, and after many years they were uh, departed in, in very, very tragic and very unjust and just downright cruel ways. And now there he is, revealing himself and forgiving them. Well, this family has quite a story. And I'm going to run through just the whole family and, and their background. These names that are on the gates of heaven. Well, it begins with their father, Jacob. And, you know, Jacob was a, a deceiver who stole 
the blessing that was really due his brother from his own father with the help of his mother. Now, it it's also tells us that, that God's hand was in that, so you know, deal with that as you can, but he was also deceptive in, in other ways. He was deceptive with uh, his father-in-law in business dealings, and um, he was also deceived by his own father-in-law and tricked into working. And so, so Jacob was a deceiver and was deceived. He was not a very honest man. Let's just say it that way. But as you may know, Rachel fell in love with a woman named Rachel. And she was uh, an attractive woman, the younger of two sisters. And she was raised by a deceptive man. And when she was going to leave his estate, she stole some things from him and lied about it. So that's Rachel. Rachel had a maidservant named Bilhah. It was part of the culture. Uh, it was slavery, basically, but they hopefully treated them well, but a little more on her in a moment. Well, Rachel, as you may know, had an older sister named Leah. And Laban, the father of Rachel and Leah, tricked Jacob into marrying both of them, which was a culturally acceptable thing to do, to have more than one wife. And he also did so to, in order to have Jacob agree to work for him, which amounted to 14 years. Leah also had a maidservant named Zilpah, right? So you have Jacob and four women, right? This isn't going well so far. Child number one born to Leah named Reuben. What kind of a man was he? Well, we don't know a whole lot except that at one point he had an illicit relationship with his mother's maidservant Zilpah. Okay, that's one thing we know about Reuben, but he was the firstborn. The secondborn is a man named Simeon, also born to Leah. Now, if you know the story, Rachel wasn't able to have children. Leah felt unloved, and she probably was, honestly, because Jacob really loved his, her sister Rachel, and not so much her, but kind of went along with it. But at least she's having children, and she felt blessed because of that. Well... What about this man, Simeon? Simeon, uh, along with his brother Levi, went into a town in the middle of the night after men, most of the men of that small city had agreed to be circumcised and uh, as because the, the king of that city, the prince really, um, had, we call it today, date-raped their sister Dinah. And he wanted to make it right, so he said, look, let's, let's all marry her. We'll make it all well. Jacob said, okay, you can marry her if you're all circumcised. They said, we will be. So without too much graphic detail, the men are all in pain. So that wasn't, this wasn't part of the agreement, of course, but two of the brothers, Simeon and Levi, snuck in the middle of the night and killed all the men while they were in pain. That's Simeon. Levi. Same thing. He was part of this. Now, they, they were, we'll get to her in a moment. Leah was the mother of Dinah as well, so it was their blood sister involved, and so they felt somehow they had to enact revenge because their sister was dishonored in this way. 
We're not doing really well here, are we? I'm trying to find good examples of people to follow here in Genesis. Well, how about Judah? Judah, the name of the nation of Israel, the, the southern kingdom that, that stayed true to the faith. Judah, the, the line to Jesus himself. The, he was, you know, the line of David and the line of Christ. And wow, you gotta, it must, Judah must have something good about him. The fourth son, also born to Leah. Well, once Joseph was believed dead by Jacob and was, of course, sold off in slavery, Judah left the estate. He left Jacob's household and went off on his own. And Judah found a, a wife there, and he had three sons, and the oldest of those sons married a woman named Tamar. And that son was a very wicked man, and he died. And so the second son, as was the tradition and the custom, would make sure that Tamar had children through him to, to basically, in effect, be his brother, his dead brother's children. Well, he didn't cooperate with that, and he died too. And so Judah was almost afraid that the third son's going to die because somehow this woman Tamar must be, you know, you know just, just bad luck. And Tamar didn't really do anything wrong, but she wasn't having any children. So as the story goes, she pretended to be a prostitute. Judah found her, wanted a prostitute, because maybe because his wife had just died and he wanted some companionship. Okay, not sure that excuses, you know, hooking up with a prostitute, but that's what happened. And Tamar was the prostitute, pretending to be one, and they must have been together long enough that she indeed got pregnant. And um, eventually Judah realized the error of his ways and accepted their son as his. Not the way to raise a family, right? When you go to the Gospel of Matthew and you read the genealogy leading up to Jesus, you'll see those names. You'll see Judah, you'll see Tamar, and their son Perez, which led up to David. Still not really... Positive role models to follow, right? I'm looking for one. How about Dan? Now, Bilhah is Rachel's maidservant. If you know the story, Rachel still couldn't have children, so Jacob, have, please have children through my maidservant. Again, a culturally acceptable thing to do. Surrogate motherhood. And so Bilhah had someone named Dan. Not any additional information about him. And then she had another son named Naphtali. Same deal there. Had and then Zilpah, Leah's maidservant, Leah wasn't able to have children for a time, and so she said to Jacob, would you have children through my maidservant, please? Jacob said, okay. So they have a son named Gad through Zilpah. Again, not much information about him or the next son, Asher, or the next son, Issachar, that was born to Leah once again as her womb was once again opened up. And once again, Zebulun, we're down to 10 boys now, okay? And then finally came the girl. So, are you feeling good about this family as a role model just yet? Anyone? Okay. Now, um, eventually, God blessed Rachel. And Rachel had Joseph. And, of course, if you know the story, Jacob, unfortunately, spoiled Joseph rotten. <laughs> and um, this, the, the coat of many colors, and 
it seems if you're very honest with the story, Joseph, perhaps naively, but still, he seemed kind of arrogant. Look at me. Look what I got. And he used that favor from his father in ways that all of these brothers just absolutely despised. And, and to a certain degree, you, you can't blame them for that, at least feeling that way. Now, it doesn't excuse selling them off into slavery and wanting to kill them first, but at least you understand where the, the anger came from. And then Rachel had a second son named Benjamin, and giving birth to Benjamin, Rachel died. Whew. You can't make this up. <laughs> you know, and... and the problem, though, I think sometimes is when you get the Sunday school version of this story, I mean, Sunday school when you're six years old, okay, there's some of this that you're not going to say all to the kids and you want to emphasize, you know, the, the faith of Joseph and of Jacob, and, and that's good and that's true, but all you got to do is read. Go ahead, open your Bible, start at Genesis 37, go to 45. You'll find all of what I just said and more about these people and, and their troubles. If nothing else, maybe it makes you feel a little better about your family. <laughs> Whatever your family is, your immediate family, your extended family, none of us has that down perfectly. None of us has a family that doesn't have issues, problems, strife, quarrels, ongoing resentment, you know, some manage it better than others, just the pains of life that, as we said last week, when one person has, has pain in their life, then it affects the rest of the family to some degree, and depending on how it's managed, how it's handled, that's going to dictate how well you continue to connect and function as a family, an extended family. And I will say this, that's where I will give Jacob credit. In all of this mess, he kept them together. In all of this mess, he continued to believe in the God of his grandfather Abraham, of his father Isaac. He believed in the calling and the blessing. He could see the blessing of all of these children. If Abraham was to become a nation, his family, and Isaac only had two children, well, now here's Jacob with the blessing of his father Isaac, and he is indeed blessed in terms of a whole lot of children. And they indeed became the names of the tribes of Israel. With, with one minor note there, um, the, the 12 tribes in terms of owning the land that was given to them through Joshua and the conquest, um, there is no um, tribe of Joseph. Joseph was given a double area to his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And then Levi didn't have a, a, an area to live or a, a, named after him because the Levi, his, his tribe, as you may know, became the priests. And so they didn't have land, but they had the honor of directing worship. So that's where it all went with these names. All of this took place, most of which I just mentioned, in the space of 22 years from the time that, that they threw Joseph into the pit and had him sold off as a slave until he revealed who he was when he was second in command in Egypt. 22 
years. I mean, think back 22 years. I mean, it's, it's interesting right now because 22 years was the year 2000. And I mean, how, how much has life changed since then? You know, nationally, internationally, uh, wow. I, I, we were all worried be going into 2000 about Y2K. I'll take, I'll take four of those if I can trade off for one COVID. I mean, come on. <laughs> Turned out to be almost nothing, but there was political strife in the sense of uh, an election that year that took weeks to determine. Well, that happened again. But what about your own family? What, what, how has life changed for you in 22 years? By any measure, it's going to change a lot. So there's a lot of change going on in this extended household, in, in these difficult moments that they're living through. But what we see here in this story is the extraordinary forgiveness of one of these men. His name is Joseph. And Joseph maintained a God-centered attitude. He did that from day one of being a slave. He decided that, well, I don't want to be here in Potiphar's household. I don't want to be a slave. Who would be? Who would want that? No one. But he decided to make the best of it and worked hard, and he was honored for that and given responsibility to use his gifts of, of administration, basically. And he was put in charge. Even when he was accused of a crime he did not commit, he maintained a good attitude even when thrown in prison for something he didn't do. You couldn't blame him if he just would have went into despair and just, just been angry at everyone. But because he chose a good attitude, he was listening and he heard the, the, the dreams as the, the cupbearer and the baker of the Pharaoh were discussing their strange dreams. And had Joseph been so down about himself and just worried, he wouldn't have an ear attuned to those around him. That's one of the things that getting down does to us. It, it shuts us off from other people. Not intentionally, but it does so because we're so inward focused that we're not seeing and hearing the needs and opportunities around us. But because Joseph had a God-centered attitude, he was ready to hear about those dreams. He was ready to use the gift God gave him of interpreting those dreams, which eventually led him to Pharaoh himself and then being put second in charge of all of Egypt. Now Joseph held the power. And he held the power humbly, which is an extremely difficult thing to do. A humble leader is not something that's, that's easy to find. In, 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 in government or in business or um, in, in anywhere, when, when you have authority, especially if it's a lot of authority over a lot of people or a lot of responsibility over a lot of money or whatever it might be, it is so easy for that to go to your head. And to, to maintain a humble attitude when you have authority, in some ways that is, is even might even be a greater accomplishment of Joseph than maintaining a positive attitude when he had no power. But now he has the power, 
and he uses it well. <clears throat> now he had options. So because he had that power, when his brother showed up before him and he recognized them and they didn't recognize him, wow, what can he do? He could have them cut down on the spot. He could have them all thrown in jail and stay there until they rot. He could have sent them back to get his brother Benjamin and Jacob and then thrown the other brothers in jail but treated his, his dad and his brother well. He had, he had so many options because he had all of that authority, but he chose well. He chose to see God in his pain. And that's what he told his brothers in this morning's reading. He told them that this God was in all of this. If I had not been, been sent to Egypt, and if I had not been a, a, a slave or even in jail unjustly as it was, I would not have the opportunity now to save all of you. And, and he took that that power that he had, and did exactly that. And most importantly, Joseph chose to forgive. And this forgiveness was a process, and that's what forgiveness often is. It, it's not just something, something bad has happened. Oh, I see that. I'm sorry. I forgive you. And you move on. In little day-to-day -day things that might be possible, occasionally it's a minor slip-up, but when it's something deep and really painful, it is a process. It takes time. When you read the story, think about Joseph seeing them at first, and he, he had to leave the room at first. And then what did he do? He had, he had Simeon arrested and kept them there. He had all of them thrown in jail at first, and then he let them out and kept Simeon and sent them back. Now, in sending them back, that's time to travel all the way back to where they lived. It's weeks, probably months, so he has a lot of time to process, a lot of time to pray, a lot of time to be tempted to use that power in negative ways, to enact revenge upon his brothers. But eventually he landed right here, and he also gave him the opportunity to test them. And this is important in forgiveness. There, there, is, there is a big difference between forgiving someone in your heart and letting them walk all over you again and again. Because sometimes people hear that. Well, I can't forgive so-and-so because of this awful thing that they did. And forgiving them doesn't mean that you kind of give them a license like, well, that didn't matter. Who cares about it? We're, it's all forgiven. Forgive and forget. By the way, only God can do that. Forgive and forget completely. We're humans. We're gonna, we can forgive but we don't have to hold the person in contempt anymore. We don't have to let them walk all over us either. So which is why Joseph was able to test them. So if his brothers had not brought Benjamin back, or if his brothers had, um, had any other attitude that he would have seen as they weren't changed, that's what he's trying to do. Did they change? He still could forgive them in their heart, but then still throw them in jail or let them go back home and starve or, or, or just go get his father and leave the rest of them go. But he had options there for that, but it was because 
he had a heart to forgive that all these other things were made possible. So what does that have to do with us in dealing with our family situations? Well, first of all, like Joseph, put God in the center. Put God in the center of your choices. Put God in the center of your attitude. Mostly and especially when things are hard. Mostly and especially when life is not fair. Mostly and especially when, when brokenness happens and people's choices hurt you and they've hurt others. And if it's within your family system, that's when the pain is the deepest. And that's when this matters the most. To stay God-centered in how we act and react to the pain that happens in our homes. Joseph was able to do that. And again, it wasn't easy. It was a process. I'm sure there was ups and downs in his heart and mind. But in the end, he landed in that place of forgiveness. Use authority with humility. Again, I can't overemphasize how important that is. Authority is something we all learn at a very young age. If you uh, are an older sibling, at some point you were probably given a level of authority over your little brother or sister, you know, in some way or another. When you go to school, you're given authority. Okay, class, let's break into small groups. All right, all right, Paul, you're in charge of your group or those four people. Wow, I have authority of some sense or another. And as we grow, we start to learn those things. And to use that humbly is not easy. And we need prayer. And again, if we keep God in the center, it helps us to keep humble with the authority that we have at whatever level it might be, especially in the family structures. Avoid knee-jerk Impulsive responses. I'll bet Joseph wanted to cut them down on the spot. I'll bet he wanted to point them out and say, guards, arrest these men. They betrayed me 22 years ago, and I haven't forgotten about it, boys. He could have done that, but he didn't. To feel that is natural. To feel that is human. But to suppress that enough to go back to humility and ask God to help you keep him in the center that's what gets us through. That's what helps us not to react in knee-jerk and impulsive ways with our family or with anyone else. Look for God in your pain. This might be the hardest thing. Joseph was able to see that. Joseph was able to see, had not this happened, I wouldn't be here. Now, it doesn't mean that God allowed or made those things happen so you can get where you are today. Yes and no, and that's kind of for you to see and to prayerfully ask God that question. But it's, it's really more of saying, okay, here I am. What can I do with it? Regardless of, of why it happened, how can I respond now? What will honor God most in my response to this pain in my family, to this, this difficulty in my family, to the decision about my family? And how I, as the authority in the family, or an authority, or just part of the family, respond. Again, whether it's your immediate family and the household in which you live, or is your extended family that we all live with lifelong, can you see God in the pain somehow? Can you see somehow God still taking that pain and, and turning something good about it? Didn't mean the pain was good, doesn't mean the violation was good but it meant that our reaction to it can be God-honoring and God-centered. And lastly, and most importantly, choose forgiveness. That is the heart of the story. That's why I chose that reading today about 
forgiveness because that's what Joseph was able to do, but he didn't get there easily or slowly. He had 22 years to think about that opportunity, and it came to him, and he chose well. In closing, Colossians 3, 12 to 14, quite often we'll read these, and if you, all, if you think about Scripture contextually, you think, okay, this is a letter from the Apostle Paul written to a church. Therefore, when I read this, I'm thinking, this is how I will treat other believers at my church, other believers in my life, which is true, but let's just think about it at home. Just exclusively at home, as you read, hear these familiar words. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you whenever all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Lord God, we thank you for family that was your idea because we need people to nurture for us and care for us and, and to live this life together and support one another. And along the way, pain happens, and sometimes very great and deep pain. But we ask, Lord God, that you would help us to see in Joseph his God-centered attitude and how he chose you even in the midst of the worst possible circumstances. Bless each family represented in this room today and help them to, to see you in all things, even in their pain, and to trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. Kim's going to come as we prepare our hearts for prayer with our prayer song.